in the ministry. All right, reading out of Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 and 4. Verses 1 and 4, it says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. Neck, I stooped and fed them. Here in this passage of Scripture, it's really an illustration of saving love as God saved Israel, right? So he saves us in much the same way. The Bible says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called him out of Egypt. So what do we mean by that? God loved us while we were still yet sinners. You know, God loved Israel while they were still in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of the devil holding God's people in bondage. God loved them when they were in the world, held bondage by the enemy. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Somebody say amen to that. Also, we see here that he drew them, the Bible says, with gentle cords, with bands of love. With gentle cords, with bands of love. So think about how you got saved. And just as God just began to, like, with, with, with bands of love, like, let's say he tied a rope around them and just began to gently draw them to himself. So the Lord did that for us. The Lord did that for us. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him. The Father drew us with his love to Jesus Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he did it gently, and he did it in a way that just began to pressure us or to lead us or to push us into more of him. And before we knew it, we're giving our heart to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, sometimes it seems like uh, we're seeking the Lord and then we found Jesus. But I want you to know that there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one. That's, the Bible says that in Romans chapter 3, right? There's none that seeketh after the Lord. But God gently draws us with his cords of love. And so it seems as if we've been awakened and start seeking after God when in fact... He is seeking after us, and by those gentle cords of love, he created in us this desire for him that we would not have unless he first loved us. Doesn't the Bible say we love him because he first loved us? So if you're saved, it's because the Lord began to draw you with that gentle cord, bands of love. The scripture says that he took the yoke from their neck. He stooped and fed them. I love that. Just like Israel, God did the same for us. He broke the yoke of slavery off of us, and he stooped and fed them. The Bible says that God humbled himself to save you. Where does it say that? Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He stooped. He came down. He became obedient, as the Bible says, even the death of the cross. Unbelievable that God would send his son, that his son would willingly come, humble himself to become a man, not just to become a man, but to obey his heavenly father, not just to do that, but to obey him even to death, not just death, but the death of the cross. Unbelievable. 
We have three beautiful illustrations. I'm going to get to these people here at this time. Three beautiful illustrations found out of Romans chapter 3. It says in verses 23 to 25, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified, everybody say justified, freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everybody say redemption. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Everybody say propitiation. Very good. Try to say that without spitting, right? Propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. So we have three words there, justification, redemption, propitiation. Those are three beautiful pictures, three illustrations that speak about God's saving love. The first one is justification. What we have here is how can sinful women Wicked, guilty men, men be made right in the sight of a righteous God. And so justification is a picture of the judicial act of God whereby the sinner, the guilty sinner, stands before a righteous judge. How can he be made right with God? Justification. That's what that means. That's the picture. You're guilty standing before a righteous God who is ready to pass eternal sentence upon you, and yet because of your simple faith in Christ, God has freely justified you or declared you righteous in his sight. That's saving love. That's, and that, if you're, if, if you're saved today, is what happened to you. Guilty and God, because of faith in Christ, has declared you righteous in his sight. Somebody say amen to that. That's this first one right here. The second one, we have the idea of redemption. How can we who are slaves to sin and the devil ever be set free from the power of sin and the power of Satan? So we have the idea of redemption. To redeem means to purchase back How can we who are bound, we who are slaves, so a price needs to be paid to redeem that slave, to purchase that slave's freedom? And I want you to know the Bible tells us in the first Peter chapter one is that we were not redeemed with gold and silver and precious stones, but we were redeemed or purchased with the what? Precious blood of Jesus. That's another beautiful word picture that speaks about God's saving love. Guilty sinners standing before a righteous judge, slaves to sin and to Satan, unable to purchase our own freedom. God, not with price of money, not with price of precious stones, but by his own precious blood, purchased us, redeemed our life from slavery. Somebody say amen to that. And the third, we have this word propitiation. It's the idea of a sacrifice given to appease the wrath of an angry God. Propitiation. We know that in the Old Testament, they sacrificed their children to the gods. Why is that? Because in false worship, false gods, God is seen as angry. His wrath needs to be lifted. 
And the way they do that is the strong sacrifices the weak to somehow placate the wrath of an angry God. And so it is with us. How can we who have angered God? Because listen what it says in the book of Psalms, chapter 7, verse 11. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Did you know that if you believe not, the wrath of God already abides on you? So how can we who are sinners, who have sinned against God, that the Bible says is angry with the wicked, the wrath of God is abiding on them, how can we placate, appease, diminish God's righteous wrath that he freely is expressing upon us. Well, they would sacrifice sons and daughters, but I want you to know God gave up his son to be our propitiation, because 1 John tells us this, he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ laid down his life. The Father saw his sufferings, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He became just and the justifier of those that believe in Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ has appeased or placated God's wrath so it no longer abides on you and I. Somebody say amen to that. So in the gospel, the strong God sacrificed the strong, his son, to save the weak, which is you and I. So we have a guilty sinner before a righteous judge. We have a slave to sin and Satan being purchased we have an angry God being appeased by sacrifice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for saving love today. Saving love today. God did this in Christ when he saved us through the cross. Somebody say amen to that. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Give them a round of applause. They did a great job, didn't they? Reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we have a proper order here. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, so that we are then strengthened by his Spirit in our inner man, whereby we become rooted and grounded in love, so that we might know experientially the love of God, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. And the Bible says the way we can do that is if we are comprehending and knowing in a very experiential way, I mean truly know it, the, uh, the, the love of God. And uh, if we do know the love of God, then, then we are filled with all the fullness of God. That, that's the idea that you're filled with God, that you're living off the overflow, that you're 
you're filled with the fullness of God, all that that means. You're filled with his love. You're filled with his grace. You're filled with his strength. You're filled with his wisdom. You're filled with his power. You're filled with his gifts. You're filled with his discernment. You're just filled with his spirit. You are filled with all the fullness of God that comes by knowing and comprehending the saving love of God. It's interesting. The Bible says you can know this love by comprehending it. What does that word mean? Katalambano in the Greek. Comprehend. It literally means to seize, to grasp, to possess it in every situation. The Bible says we're supposed to comprehend the love of God. That means to possess it or to grasp it in every single situation that you find yourself. You know, people doubt the love of God in their life when they go through great challenge, when they go through suffering, when things happen that they seemingly don't understand or have trouble, quote, comprehending. Well, if God really is a God of love, then why has this or that happened to me? But the Bible says that uh, the Apostle Paul is praying here. It's a, it's a scriptural prayer, so this is a prayer that if we pray, God will answer because it's according to his will, right? And the Bible says that we are to pray that we might comprehend the love of God. That means to grasp it, to seize it, to wrap your, your brain around it or to get your arms around it, no matter what situation, circumstance, or season of life that you find yourself in, so that no matter what you are going through or season of life that you're in, you never doubt for a minute the love of God for your life. That's what that means. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Did you know that uh, understanding, perceiving, comprehending, experiencing, and being filled with all the fullness of God is not for simply those that have attained a super uh, level of maturity, but that you may comprehend with all the saints. The saints just means holy ones or sanctified ones. Uh, uh, According to the Scriptures, every believer is a saint. Every believer is a saint. That you may comprehend with every single believer the love of God, and to know the love of God, to comprehend the love of God. Did you know only a Christian can truly comprehend and know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Those that are lost cannot truly know, experience, comprehend God's great love. The Bible says that when you get saved, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. There is something wonderful that happens that when you place your faith in Christ, His Spirit comes into you because you then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God begins to express to you and reveal to you and minister to you the fact that God loves loves you, that you are loved by God. And you see things in a, in a, in a marvelous way that you've never seen before. I, you know, I've shared this uh, through the years uh, when I was, uh, uh, before I got saved, my parents were devout Catholics. I remember going to Mass, and the Mass is all centered around the taking of communion. And uh, in the church that we went to, they had this beautiful painting 
I mean, a huge painting of the crucifixion scene. Christ on the cross, the two thieves, the, the Roman soldiers, uh, you know, the women wailing and uh, bemoaning the, the death of Christ, and uh, just this huge crucifixion scene. And I remember I would go and, and get communion. We'd go back to, back to our seat, and we'd be kneeling there, and you're supposed to contemplate things and things like that. I remember looking at that and wondering, why did he die? Why did he have to die? I still remember that, trying to figure, why did he have to die? You would think, oh, he died for me, for you, for the sins of the world. And I'm sure I was taught that, but I never grasped it. I never knew it. I never comprehended it. It just, it would, uh, it would go over my head. It it wouldn't mean anything to me. And I, I remember looking at that, that painting and seeing Jesus on the cross and wondering why, why, why? And then at age 18, I, I gave my heart to Christ and God breathed in me the Spirit of God and the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. And all of a sudden, I knew, I knew why. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I just knew it. I just knew it. I just knew it. I just knew it. Anybody had that testimony? That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints and to know that word know is it's not, uh, there's two Greek words. One has like a head knowledge. It's, it's oida, a head knowledge intellectually. The other is more like gnosko where you, you know it experientially. And it's the word gnosko that you may know or personally experience his love. That somehow it, it travels from, from here to here. That you know it up here, but you also know it down here. Man, I know God says he loves me. I know that's why he gave his son. I understand that. But also, I feel it. I experience it. I know God loves me. And the Bible says that you can know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. What does that mean? It means it is beyond your ability to explain. It is beyond your ability to fully know the riches of it. It's past finding out. It's like you know the unknowable. (laughs) Knowing the love of Christ, praise the Lord, the amazing love of God. The Bible says that we can be rooted and grounded in love, rooted like a tree that cannot be uprooted, I mean, no matter what the winds do, the storms come, and you're like a tree, you're rooted in the love, and so the winds of adversity come, and, and your roots go down deep in his love, and, and no matter what happens, no matter how hard those winds blow or how difficult it is, you just know, you still know that God loves you. That somehow he loves you. No matter how much of a spiritual drought you must be in, where you don't sense or feel this or that, but your roots go down deep in his love, and, and even though you might be in a spiritual drought, you just know. You just know that God loves you. You're rooted in it. Grounded like a building. Settled. No cracks in the foundation. No doubts creeping in. Because you are grounded in his love, what does that mean? It means you can build your life on his everlasting, unchanging, unconditional love. You can build your life on it. So you comprehend it with all the saints. You know it, experience it. Even though it passes knowledge, you're rooted in it. 
You're grounded in it, and then you can illustrate it. I wanted them to bring out the cross because the Bible talks about the length, the height, the depth, and the breadth of the love of Christ. And boy, the cross really shows it forth, does it not? We have the, the cross beam that goes this way, and that speaks to me of the breadth of God's love, like those cross, like Jesus was nailed to his cross and, and his arms were outstretched as if his arms are going around, the, the breadth. And then you got the length, the length from, from the bottom clear up to the top, uh, the length of God's love from eternity past to eternity future. Then you got the depth, was that, that cross was placed in the ground. It has a depth to it. And then the height as the top of it reaches up to heaven. So the cross, as that instrument of death, the symbol of our Christianity, speaks about the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love. It's as if when Jesus was nailed to the cross and, you know, we, we asked that question, how much do you love me? Do you love me this much? Do you love me this much? Do you love me this much? How much do you love me? Well, Jesus says, man, I love you this much, this much, as his arms were outstretched. The Bible talks about the width, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. Let's talk about this width, meaning every single person. For God so loved the world. And we know that that's talking about the world of creation, like the trees and the birds. And hey, my wife and I, we were out running on, on Friday. We're, we're training for this half marathon at the end of the month. Our, our daughter-in-law, Jan, she, she uh, roped us into doing it last year with her, so we did. And she compelled us again to do it with her uh, this year, so we're doing it. So we're trying to get up to 13 miles. And so my wife and I, were, we're doing our training run on, on Friday there at Kensington. And we're out at Turtle Island running that. And uh, all of a sudden I look up, I see this big bird flying. That's got a white head and a white tail. That's an eagle. That's an eagle. I said, look, Ron, an eagle. And of course, she's looking down at, at, at the road, you know. But I'm, I'm looking up. <laughs> and uh, she looked. I said, oh, that's great. That's great. And we watched her fly and go up into the trees. And then we, we probably ran for another two minutes. And I looked to my right, and there was another eagle, a different eagle, flying on the right side of Turtle Island. I said, Rhonda, look, there's another one. Ah, oh, look at that. That's great. That's great. And then my wife was going up to minister at a, at a women's conference there up in the Thumb. With, she took some ladies with her, and they're driving up there. And out in the field, they see a big, bald eagle. We're seeing eagles everywhere. I love eagles, don't you? The Bible says that he'll satisfy your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the Eagles. Eagles live long lives, long lives. Whenever I see an eagle, I would just remember the promise. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Eagles. So I'm talking about eagles because for God so, that's it, for God so loved the world. It's not talking about the world of his creation like the birds or the eagles or the stars or whatever. It's talking about the world of people. Why do I say that? Because of the context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. So that's the world of the whoever's. 
Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world is talking about the world of people, the world of sinners, the world of the whoever's that have the capacity uh, to believe upon him. That's the width of the love of God is that Jesus doesn't just love a select few. He doesn't just love the good. He doesn't love the American. He just doesn't love the righteous. He loves the whoever. The whoever. And I'm, I'm glad for that, aren't you? Because that included me. That included me. And that includes you. Because I was that guilty sinner that could not be made right before a righteous judge. I was that slave to sin and to the devil that had no capacity to redeem myself from slavery. And I was that sinner before an angry God and I had nothing within myself to appease that wrath. I was that sinner lost perishing, needing God to come and save me, and I was that whosoever, and so also were you. Somebody say amen to that. Amen to that. The width or the breadth of the love of God, we also have its length. Its length from the bottom of the cross, clear to the top, speaks about a length. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I'm so glad it didn't say I loved you with a temporary love. Or I have loved you with a earned or merited love. Or I have loved you for as long as I deem it possible with all your failures. You know, there, there's no conditions attached to it. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. This is in the NLT translation. Even before he made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he made the world, God loved you and I. The Bible would tell us in the New King James, that's called predestined in love. Before the worlds were ever created, God is love, that's his nature, we were in the heart or mind of God, however I can conceive that to be. God placed his affection upon you and I, right? It's throughout eternity. It has a length. It goes from eternity past before he made the world, and it goes on and on into an everlasting love. John 13, verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Now he loved them to the very end. He loved his disciples while on this earth. Now, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Think about it. We were in the heart of God, the mind of God. Before he ever made the world, God set his love on us. That's part of the, the length. And uh, here in John chapter 13, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he gathered his disciples to him. And the Bible says he loved them while he was on this earth, which means that Jesus is walking among those 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, Judas, doubting Thomas, all those disciples. And the Bible says he loved them while he was on this earth. Now, were, were, they, were they perfect? 
Were they the, the shining example of never failing and always doing the right thing? No. Even at his death, the Bible says they all forsook him and fled, right? He loved them while he was on this earth, which, which tells me that while we're on this earth, does Jesus love you? Does Jesus love you while you're on this earth and all your failures and faults and weaknesses and shortcomings? He loved you in the very beginning. He loves you still right now, and he will love you to the very end. For his love is an everlasting love. That's right, the very end of this life, I can die in faith, knowing, comprehending, and experiencing God's deep love for me, and I will pass over into eternity. And for all eternity, I will be experiencing and reveling and worshiping the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So it, ha- it has a width, it has a length. It has a height. The love of God is so great that it can take us to heavenly places and raise us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, He is able to save for the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save for the uttermost. I love that. Save for the uttermost. Think about that. Think about that. How, no matter what happens, he is able to save you because of his great love for you. I have this great quote here by John Newton. Take an estimate of all of our sins, all of our temptations, all of our difficulties, all our fear, and all our backslidings of every kind, Still the word uttermost goes beyond them all. Jesus is able to save completely and able to save forever. Able to save completely, able to save forever. The breadth, the length, the height, his love takes us into the heavenlies. Amen? forever. And then we have death, the worst sinner, the worst sinner. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now that Paul's writing this, he's writing this to Timothy, and you would say Paul was not the worst sinner. That's what it means when he says, of whom I am chief. He, he's literally, with great humility, he, he believes he is the, the worst of all sinners. The apostle Paul, that religious man, well, he persecuted the church to death, and in so doing, he caused many of them to blaspheme, which means he got new Christians and tortured them telling them that they must blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to deny Jesus and to deny their faith and then put them to death. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, after he came to know Jesus and God's great love, said, man, I was the worst of sinners. Not only did I put sinners to death or or put Christians to death, but I caused them to blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ who has wonderfully saved me and was the Savior of their soul. I, I, I so tortured them that I caused them to renounce their faith. The death of the love of God. 
While the Apostle Paul was persecuting his church and causing his believers to blaspheme through torture, putting them ultimately to physical death, the Bible says the love of God extended to him, the depth that reaches down to the lowest part, and he wonderfully revealed himself on the Damascus Road and saved that wretched worst of sinners. And if God could do that, he could do that for you and I. Amen. And he did do that for you and I saved us, the worst sinner. The pit, there is no pit too low. The cave, there is no cave too dark. The pig, there is no pig too filthy. The sinner, there is no sinner too sinful. That the love of God cannot go down deep and reach. Some people think, man, I'm just in this terrible, terrible pit. There is just no way God can reach me. Yes, he can. Man, I'm just in this darkness of depression and discouragement. I'm like in this cave. There's just no way for light and goodness to reach me. Yes, it can. Man, I'm just wallowing in the, in the muck and the mire, and I'm just filled with filthiness and wickedness. There's just no way God loves me. Yes, he does. Nobody has sinned like me. Nobody has walked away from God like me. There's no way that God can still love me. Yes, he does. There's the width of it. There's the length of it. There's the height of it. There's the depth of it. The Bible says this is saving love. Let's give God praise. Can we do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In conclusion, are you in a storm? then draw strength from his love. Are you in a desert place, a dry place? Sink your roots deep in his love. Build your life on that great love. Are you lost today? Be saved. Be saved. Be saved. For those of you that are saved, I wanted to remind you of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for you. I want you to be persuaded, like the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate you from his love for you. Notice he did not say, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate my great love for him. The Apostle Paul's boast was not in how much he loved God, but the Apostle Paul's boast and persuasion, no matter what comes his way, is how much God loved him. Why is that? Well, we're just human beings. We're up, we're down, we're, we're hot, we're cold, we're, we're doubting, we're believing. It just we're, we're so wishy-washy, but not God's love. It's like an anchor. It's a foundation. It's sure, it's steadfast, it's eternal. The cross, the width, the length, the height, the depth of God's great love. The one Paul says, I glory in the cross. That place of death is also the demonstration of God's love. For God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That cross is the demonstration, the proof, the evidence. He has loved me. He does love me. He always will love me. 
He loves me whether I deserve it, whether I don't deserve it. A good day, a bad day, God's love is unchanging. It's unconditional. Somebody say amen to that. Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for this message on saving love. Lord, we were that guilty sinner standing before a righteous judge. We were that slave to sin, needing somebody to purchase us from our slavery. We were that sinner facing the angry wrath of God. Who could lift that wrath? Who could appease that wrath? Jesus, nothing but the blood, faith in Christ alone. Thank you. Lord, reveal this saving love into every single heart here today. May each person be filled with all the fullness of God as they comprehend and know your love in a very real way today. And Lord, I pray for that person here today that might not know Jesus, that today might be the day of salvation. Baby, you're lost. You're that guilty sinner or that slave to sin. Maybe you're lost today and you need saving love. I would love to pray for you. If you'd love me, if you would desire me to pray with you and to lead you to Christ so that you might leave here knowing his love and being saved by his wonderful grace and love, just let me know by raising your head and say, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand right now in the presence of the Lord. I will pray with you. Lift up that hand high so I can see it. Let's rejoice in the